Good morning, brothers and sisters. So for those of you who remember my homily from last week, I did promise that I would pick on the men today since I uh, focused on you, you ladies, last week. And I really think it's, it's an appropriate day to focus on the specific areas in which we men, as husbands and as fathers, need to grow. Christ is obviously the model for everyone, but one of the reasons he gave us his blessed mother is because she models for us perfectly femininity, so Christ can perfectly model masculinity. And I think it's helpful for us to go back to Genesis to see the first man and the first woman and to see where they went wrong and how they should have acted differently. Now, in the story of the fall of Adam and Eve, we know that Adam was present. He was there with Eve when she was talking to the serpent. So Adam's first sin was silence. He said nothing. He stood there quiet and watched this interaction go on. And he did not once defend the teachings of God. All he could have said was, hey, honey, remember, God said we're not allowed to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or we're going to die. But he chose to be silent. He, set up by God as, as head of the first family, was silent when he should have spoken. We men fail in this way all the time, and I'm including myself. I know from the pulpit it's much easier for me to get up here and whack my finger and tell you what the church says, but one-on-one -on -one it's much harder. I still struggle with that at times. Now, of course, you can go to the other extreme where I don't care about your feelings or what you're doing. I'm just going to preach the truth to you. Jesus said, speak the truth in love. But as the heads of our homes, we have a moral obligation to speak the truth to our wives and our children, whether they want to hear it or not, regardless of the consequences. Now, we should do it in love, but we have to remember that obligation. So often, like Adam in the garden, we let things go on because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want Eve to get upset with us. That was Adam's first sin. Adam's second sin, after not speaking up when he should have, after not defending the Lord's teaching, the Lord's laws when he should have, was following his wife. Think about that, ladies, for just a minute. Why did Adam eat of the fruit of the tree? Because Eve ate it first and offered it to him. Even though Eve was the first to eat of the fruit, it's still called Adam's sin, not Eve's sin. Why? Because Adam was the head of the family, not Eve. Even though Eve ate the fruit first and then gave it to him and he followed her example, it's still his sin. Actually, ladies, this should console you on a certain level, because if you think about it, whenever anything bad goes on in your family, I'm not saying you're totally innocent, but your husbands are more at fault than you. They're more at fault than you, because you're not the head of the home. They are. 
one of the mistakes that we men often make is, you know, we'll, we'll talk with our wives about, hey, what do you think we should do in this situation? And the wife will say, well, I, you need to do this, or this is the best way, or you sh this is my recommendation. And the husband will say, good idea, let's do that. And he does it, and it all falls apart, right? Turns out horribly. And he's like, it's not my fault. She, it was her idea, right? It's her idea. I, I, look, I was just going along with the plan. The fact of the matter is, as the heads of our homes, we decided to go along with the plan. I mean, if Eve had made a good choice, it's perfectly fine that Adam take her example, but Adam still must lead her in the choice, never follow her. There is an order here to things. Adam is supposed to always lead, even when he's leading based on Eve's advice. Christ is our head as the family, as the body of the church. And he listens to his bride. He listens to her concerns. And he oftentimes takes her advice and direction. But he still says, you follow me. And if you remember when Peter tried to tell Jesus not to go to Jerusalem because he was going to suffer and die, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That seems pretty harsh. But why did he tell Peter to get behind him? It was because Peter wanted to lead Jesus away from Jerusalem. And yet Jesus is the one who should have led Peter to Jerusalem. Peter follows the head. We all follow Christ. That is the order of things as God has said it. And anyone who goes against the order, in our Lord's words, is a Satan, a tempter, that's what Eve was in that moment. Here, honey, it tastes delicious. You'll love it. And so he followed his wife because he thought to himself, well, I don't have a choice at this point, right? I mean, she's eating the fruit. We're married. I got to do what she does. What would have happened? Think for a moment. What would have happened if Adam didn't eat the fruit, but Eve did? What would have happened? What should have happened if that was the case? You see, Adam became the example of all sinful men. But he should have been, even at that time, a type of Christ. You see, for Jesus, he is the perfect Adam, the sinless one. He's the perfect husband. His bride, his people, the church, always sins, always does wrong. Ladies, I'm not picking on you. I'm using a metaphor, okay? So, the church, we, the body of Christ, we always sin. So we're the guilty party here. He's the innocent one. He never goes along with our sin, never. In fact, how often does Jesus tell us, hey, you can't do this, this is wrong. So it goes against my father's teachings. You should be following me, not me following you. It's precisely for his outspokenness that the Jews in power hated him and wanted him dead. His own people who should have followed him rebelled against him. And they gave Jesus an option. They said, look, if you follow us, then we'll let you live. We'll be okay. If you follow us, then everything will continue status quo. And Jesus said to them, I cannot do that. 
you must follow me. And they said, look, if you insist upon this, we're going to kill you. And he said, you must follow me. And they crucified him. How do you think Eve would have behaved if Adam refused to take the fruit? If he remained righteous and holy, defending God's teachings? It's very possible, just like the people of Israel, she would have turned against him completely. And sought his own destruction, just like the people of Israel. And if he really wanted to be a true man, a type of Christ, he would have had to willingly sacrifice himself for her. Even though that she deserved to die, he should have died in her place to save her. That would have been the perfect image of Jesus Christ and how he saves us from sin. It's this we men have to contend with. One, we don't speak up when we should. We do not defend the truths of God because it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. We just don't like it. Or when we do defend those truths, we do it with arrogance and pride, without any love or compassion. And then we refuse to suffer for those over whom we have authority. Imagine this conversation going on in heaven between the father and the son. The father says, you know, I've got a problem with my children. They're really, really bad, and I, I have to condemn them all. But I'd like to save them. But I need some help. And the word of God, the Logos, our Lord and Savior, says to his father, Father, send me. I'll, I'll go. I love them too. You love them. I love them. I said, I'll do whatever is necessary. And he says, you realize what this means. They're going to hate you. They're going to torture you and they're going to kill you. And he says, oh, I know, as long as it saves them. There was never a moment in which the second person of the Blessed Trinity was not ready to suffer anything necessary to save us, even though he was innocent. We men struggle with this concept of self-sacrifice. You know, the Bible doesn't anywhere tell women to be self-sacrificial. Did you know that? Nowhere does it tell women to sacrifice yourselves for others. You know why? Because it's genetics. Female mammals do this. Dogs, bears, whales, whatever. Ladies, there is no special virtue when you normally are making a self-sacrificial offering for love of somebody else. You know why? Because you're programmed genetically to do this. All you have to do is study the animal kingdom. But if you came across the father of a bunch of cubs and a mountain lion was chasing them down, the father would take off and say, kids, you're too slow. If you wanted to survive, you should have run faster. That's what the mother, though, she would have turned and fought even if she died. Think about it for a moment. That's what we men are tempted to do a lot of the time. Look, you're the slow one. Why should I get punished for your ineptitude, for your failings, your weakness? 
This is what St. Paul reminds us of in Ephesians 5 when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It was when the church was sinful, was wrong, was guilty, that Christ, the innocent one, took upon himself her punishment. The, the analogy I always like to use is, because a lot of you fathers can relate to this, so you, you want to get to Mass at least a few minutes early just to prepare yourselves, right? So you tell your wife, you tell your kids, look, okay, I'm tired of getting there late. So you're going to all get up at these hours. You're going to shower the night before. You're going to lay out your clothes. You're going to do this, and we're going to leave the house by, you know, 30 minutes before Mass, okay? That's what we're going to do. And then the next Sunday when you wake up, nobody does what you said, and you're late again. And you are sitting out in the car, like trying not to get angry, just trying not to get angry, because nobody listened to you. Here you are, the head of the home, trying to do what is right for your family, and out of love for God, and they won't listen to you. And so you get to Mass, and what happens? You're late again. Ha, ha, ha. And you go and you sit in your pew beside your best friend, and he's like, hey, Bob, late again. And you're f the first words out of your mouth as a man, as a husband and a father, are, it's not my fault. I swear, it's the, it's the missus and the kids. No matter what I tell they just don't listen to me. They just don't listen to me. We men have this tendency to, even when justified, point out the faults of others and want them to be condemned for their sins. It's because we're justice-oriented. We're very fixated on what is just. Since I didn't commit the offense, I shouldn't be blamed for it, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with that in essence. It's true. If I didn't do the wrong, why should I get blamed? Why should I get punished for it? The problem is it doesn't show the deeper reality of love. You see, love inclines one to suffer for the beloved even when you are innocent. Even when you are innocent. That's what Christ teaches us men. And that's where we fail the most. We don't want to humble ourselves and take on somebody else's guilt. You know, if your, your friend says, ah, Bob, late again, what should you say to him if you say anything? Well, if you don't know what to say, be silent. But you could have always said, yeah, I'll have to do better next time. Imagine how much your wife would have loved you hearing you say that. This goes against our, our instinct and our nature oftentimes as men. But this is what Christ teaches us, and this is what is required for our families. We are the heads of our homes. And when push comes to shove, we will be judged on what happened. And when we stand before our judgment and the Lord says to us, why didn't you do these things? He said, Lord, I mean, I, what was the, I mean, I tried, but, but there was so much resistance. You know, she, she wouldn't come along with me and the kids wouldn't follow me. And he says, well, why didn't you follow me? You didn't have to follow them. You should have followed me. And for those of you who like the Chronicles of Narnia, we'll wrap it up with, with that. If you don't, read them. They're fantastic. So in, I think it's Prince Caspian, 
I don't know. They all kind of blend together in my head. But the children are back in Narnia. They're trying to get across a river, and it became a great gorge over hundreds of years. And the youngest of them, Lucy, believes that she sees Aslan leading them to a safe passage across the gorge. But the others don't see him. And so they all refuse to follow her. They said, nope, we're not following you. You could have just been delusional. Could have just been a wild lion. It doesn't have to have been Aslan. And so they all walk away, and she begrudgingly follows them. And they go a whole day's journey down the wrong way, and they almost get killed, and they have to do a whole day's journey back to where they were. And then finally, the next day, they get across the gorge, and Aslan appears to Lucy, and he chides her. Lucy, why didn't you follow me? And she was like, but Aslan, what was I supposed to do? They refused to come. They all went the other way. And he says, what does that matter? You knew where I wanted you to go. You should have followed me, even if that left you alone. So men and women both struggle with this, but especially we men. The idea that our wives or our children may reject us because we put Christ first often leads us to following our families over the Lord. And ultimately, by that fact, leading them even further into sin. We have to have that courage, that conviction to be willing to suffer anything necessary for their good, even when we're innocent even when we've done nothing wrong, to go above and beyond what we think is enough sacrifice. Because ultimately what Christ shows us is, the only time I can say I have sacrificed enough is when I've sacrificed everything. Everything. And not one of us in this church can say that yet, because we're still alive. There's always something more to sacrifice. And if you don't know what that is or what it should look like, then just pray. Ask the Lord to make it known to you, to reveal it to you. But ultimately, we have to fulfill our vocation within our families. We primarily are the ones who must defend the truths of God. We must speak about it in our home. We must be the leaders of prayer. And we must be willing to follow Christ and do the right thing even when we're punished for it and to seek to take the punishment of those over whom we have authority. Doesn't mean they get off scot-free, but there's always more of a sacrifice that we can make. And only in that way do we as men perfectly imitate Christ, the spouse of the church. And so during this Holy Week and we reflect upon, in which we reflect upon the passion of our Lord, each of us in the right way needs to consider our calling, how we are to live, how we are to love, and pay close attention to both Jesus and Mary and how they reveal to us the path to holiness. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit,